Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back. In today's conversation, I wanted to explore the idea of expanding our conscious awareness. In recent episodes, I've talked about perception, expanding our perception, different perceptual filters, and I've been talking about just this shift in consciousness. All the energies in the earth plane and the in the cosmos is expanding our awareness of different levels or different aspects of reality. And so if you've been on the spiritual path for any length of time, you've probably heard or even talked about wanting to expand your conscious awareness, expanding your awareness, becoming enlightened, achieving Satori. And so in today's conversation, I want to actually ask the question and talk about it in depth. What does it mean to expand our conscious awareness? Well, as a human being, understand that there are aspects of our existence that were relegated to the unconscious as we incarnated in our body. And if we take another tact, we talk about the psychological implications of being human. We come into the world with virtually a blank slate. There's not a lot going on upstairs. We're here as an empty vessel to learn, to pick up ideas, to pick up behaviors. And as a child, From age zero to about seven or eight, we are almost entirely in a hypnagogic state. We're in trance, meaning that our conscious facility hasn't yet developed to the degree that it will as we move later on in years. Now, that varies from individual to individual, but, you know, in general, in general, we're typically in trance the first seven to ten years of our life. Actually, all the way up until our early 20s, we're predominantly unconscious. And even as adults, a lot of people think they're conscious, but they're operating from unconscious patterns. But trance is the ideal learning state. Trance is a very natural aspect of being human. We move in and out of trance every 45 to 90 minutes. Anytime that we're focused inside, we're processing thoughts, we're thinking inside, we're in trance, we're not present to the external world. And so, you know, a lot of people say, I can't go into trance, or you can't hypnotize me. Well, we do a good job of hypnotizing ourselves. We are more than likely in trance more often than we are out of trance. And this is particularly problematic because sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing, are we living from internal frames of references or are we actually interacting with the real world out there? More often than not, we acquiesce or we we lean heavily upon our internal programming. And that reminds me of a quote from Lao Tzu, am I a man dreaming he's a butterfly or am I a butterfly dreaming he's a man? On some level, we don't really know. So back to this subconscious programming that occurs as we're children, and we're told things by our parents. We're told things by the different people in our environment, by the culture, by cartoons, by TV, books we read. We are programmed at a very base level. And part of the process of becoming a conscious being, a conscious adult, 
is identifying those aspects of our experience that are unconscious or we're not consciously aware of and bringing them into conscious awareness. Now that might be easier said than done, but if you're on the spiritual path, that is the path that you're on. How do I move these unconscious processes into my conscious awareness and then exercise conscious choice on whether or not I want to keep it or bring in something new? And you've heard me talk many times that we create our reality. Most people create the reality unconsciously from unconscious patterns, and they wonder why they get the results that they get. Again, this is all part of the spiritual path. How do you exercise conscious control or conscious intention over your life? One of the things that I teach in my subconscious mind power, the the course that I teach on accessing your subconscious mind or building rapport with your other than conscious mind, is realizing that what you're consciously aware of at any given moment is a gift from your other than conscious mind. By and large, your other than conscious, your subconscious mind is controlling everything. You're operating from your past programming. New learnings sit on top of old learnings. That's why when you're exposed to something completely new, it seems foreign. It just seems like it's not true. It doesn't apply to me. And, you know, you probably have had the experience of being exposed to information only five or six years later, realizing, oh, my God, it's true. I I understand this now. I've had that experience myself in buying books. I open up, I I think the book is going to be perfect for me. I'm intuitively pulled to buy it. I have bought it. I open it up and it's like, this doesn't apply to me or this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Only six or seven, maybe 10, 12 years later, I open up the book and it's the perfect thing for what I'm currently dealing with. But this is where we're talking about saved information. I just wasn't ready for that conversation yet. I needed to learn some other things in order to open up to the the aspect of, of that conversation. But back to the idea that what we're consciously aware of is a gift from our other than conscious mind. You see, if we go back to our earlier time as a child and all that programming is going on, We've been taught that there are certain things to pay attention to. There are certain things that are a priority. And sometimes it's learned by default. You know, we recognize what danger is or what a bad situation is other than consciously. And so when we encounter that in the future, we just get an unsettled feeling. Or there could be a generalized feeling of anxiety that a lot of people have. And that's based on learnings from earlier in childhood that the world potentially is not a safe place. And so people are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that could have been precipitated by a parent that was inconsistent in their behavior. As a child, you never knew what parent or what aspect of your parent you were going to encounter. So you had to tread lightly or walk on broken eggshells in order to to upset the apple cart. You were always on guard because you didn't know what would cause this parent or this this caretaker to explode or unleash its fury on you. And what a lot of children learn that are in that situation is it's not my parents, it's me. It's me, the deficient one. When they blow up, what's wrong with me? Because that's the way it feels. There's something wrong with me. Well, part of becoming consciously aware is realizing, no, those parents that you had or those situations, 
They had their own issues. They were probably brought up the same way, and they're just repeating a pattern that they learned in childhood. And even though you were at the effect, it really wasn't about you. You were not the cause. And that is the first step in healing that. But like I said, all this programming happens at the other than conscious level. Many times we're not aware that we are programmed or we become aware that, yes, I had a particularly traumatic childhood or there were different situations or this behavior that I have today is a result of what I went through, you know, five years ago or in that relationship. We can actually point to the origin of this behavior. And so it seems as if it's just part of the woodwork, just part of the infrastructure. But we're not necessarily aware yet that we can actually affect change. We can actually change our history. We can choose a different path, choose a different belief. This idea that we can choose our response, and this is something I preach all the time. If I preach, you know, I've, I got on my soapbox, we can choose our response. That is our ultimate freedom. No one can take that away from you. A lot of people don't exercise that freedom. They don't choose their response. It's a reactive response. And this is all part of your spiritual path, is realizing you have choice in the matter. You can choose the story from which you live from. You can choose your response. You don't have to live from that knee-jerk habitual response that has been embedded in you for years. You can suddenly make a change today if you want to. That awareness that we are response-abled for our experience of life is one of the first stepping stones in gaining conscious awareness. But before I go too much further in this conversation, I want to bring it back around to this idea that what we're consciously aware of at any given moment is a gift from our other-than-conscious mind. Remember, when we're first brought up, when we're first learning, all we are are subconscious patterns. And then as we emerge in have emerge into adolescence in early adulthood, we begin forming our self-concept. We become more conscious of who we think we are. Again, self-concept is just an idea that we've adopted along the way on who we are. So as we become a more conscious adult, we need to exercise more control over what our other than conscious mind is offering us. And how do we do that? It's by asking questions. The formula is pretty simple. Ask and you shall receive. Your other than conscious mind, your, the universe, intuition is always in the process of answering your current question. When I was 13, I didn't realize that I had been living my entire life. You know, most kids do this, but I realized that I was living completely in my head. I wasn't very focused externally, didn't really care about other people. I was just concerned with my own wants and needs, which is very human. But I realized that it was getting in my way of actually interacting with other people. I didn't have many friends as a result. No one that I felt that I could call a good friend and so this opened up my first level of awareness. How was I in relationship to reality? And how is reality or the world responding to me? This is where you have different levels of awareness. Now we can just say expand conscious awareness and it'll hit on at least a dozen different categories. But this first one that I was opening up to was my social awareness, my interactive awareness as well as my own self 
awareness. Who was I? Who was I choosing to be in relationship to all that is, to everybody else? What are some of the other levels of awareness? Well, there's time awareness. There's body awareness. Eye-hand coordination. There's that awareness. What is your body like in space and time? Can you control it? What is your level of control? How do you actually identify whether or not you're off balance? When you learn to ride a bicycle, there is body awareness, balance awareness that is accumulated there. As you move about the world, there's situational awareness. Are you aware of your surroundings? What's the threat level? What's your level of safety? How are you in relationship to everyone else? How are you walking? How are you projecting? A couple episodes ago, I talked about the levels of perception. How is it for other people to interact with you? How does this situation or these circumstances from a God perspective, how does it play into your overall life lesson? In the context of life lessons, we can talk about relationships. Relationships are the perfect training ground, the perfect arena in which for us to actually experience aspects of ourself in relationship to someone else. A low level of awareness in relationships has you blaming the other person in relationship for the circumstances in which you're experiencing. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, we will blame the other person for how we feel and we're acquiescing or we're giving up. We're not being response-able for how we're showing up or the idea that we created this relationship. We are an integral part. We are an active ingredient. We are a participant in this relationship. So whatever dynamics going on is part of us. It's what we attracted, it's what we allow, it's how we're behaving or how we're responding in relationship to this other person. And our perception of this other person, I said this in the last episode on perception, is that all we have is our perception. And so our experience of another human being that we are in relationship to is our perception. It's not the totality of who they are. It's what we're the platform for. It's we're the expectation for how they show up. So what we find, it's very interesting that people show up exactly the way we expect them to most often. Very seldom will someone show up that is in contrast to the perception that we have of them. And we have the mistaken idea that we have an assessment of the truth. We know what the truth is. We know what they are like. Or do we really? How often have you been perceived a particular way that has been false? It isn't how you really see yourself. It doesn't actually identify or pay attention or respect those attributes that you consider most worthy. No, they pick the things that you hate the most, the things that you're most embarrassed about. And they say, that's who you are. No, it's not. There's so much more here. That's what we say all the time but you're doing the same thing to other people. You're not necessarily holding out the expectation that they show up in an admirable way. So that's one level of awareness in relationships. Sexual awareness is another one. And and that's dependent upon your early experiences as you uh, express yourself sexually as a human being. And oftentimes, you know, we take an assessment of four or five, half a dozen different interactions that we have on a sexual level, and that becomes our sexual identity. We don't continue to explore that. 
We don't typically ask the question, or most people don't. I have, but most people don't ask the question, how can I become a better lover? How can I become more expressive? How can I have a more intimate relationship with my partner? We don't typically ask those questions because on some level, sometimes we don't want to hear the answer. We don't want to know that we're deficient. We don't want to know that we have some work to do in a particular area. I think of it as all practice. I can remember there was a woman that said that her 19-year-old boy was about to lose his virginity with his girlfriend who had one partner previous to him. He was a virgin, and there was there was a certain amount of anxiety in this encounter, and she wanted my recommendation. She wanted my perspective on how to set it up to where it could be, a, I guess, an encouraging or uh, a beautiful situation. Well, first and foremost, I said... Just admit, I'm inexperienced. You're pretty much inexperienced. We don't really know what we're doing. And so we'll just kind of play with it. We'll practice. I love you. You love me. We'll work on making this a beautiful expression. So there's no pretense. If, you know, things don't go ideally, you can do better. It's going to be a practice. It's going to be something we're going to work out over time. You tell me what you like. You tell me what works. You tell me that didn't work for me. All right, I can adjust my behavior. And so when you come into the context or come from the perspective, and this is not just this situation, but all of life, but when you operate from the context that you are a beginner, Zen philosophy says, approach it with the beginner's mind. Be a student. Don't think you know everything. That's one of the biggest barriers to conscious awareness. I already know that. I already saw that. I know what that's about. And you probably know people that are like that, if it's not you. And that's the idea that I already know it. I know what you're talking about. You don't need to explain it to me. I know all the ins and outs about it. That typically comes from an earlier subpersonality, a childhood or a subpersonality born in childhood that was made wrong at some point, was told that it was stupid, was told. And so that subpersonality will rear its ugly head and prove the point that I know what I'm talking about. I'm an expert. You need to listen to me. I'm right. You're wrong. There's a lot of those arguments. And a lot of people operate from this context that they need to prove how smart they are. I went through that as a teacher, as a coach. I I had to impress you, I thought, at an earlier time in my life, how smart I was, how accomplished I was. And when I really owned up the fact that I've made a lot of mistakes, I've made a lot of missteps, I've made a lot of detours along the way, I haven't taken the direct route, not in any way, shape, or form. But when I could admit that, that I was in a process, I was learning as I go, and I'm still learning as I go. I'm still creating finer and finer distinctions, and this is something I want to revisit, distinctions, but creating more distinctions about my life, but creating more distinctions about my interactions with others, my interactions in relationship, my how I move in the world. I've been looking at my business persona and looking at that from a fresh lens, becoming a student in that, like I don't know anything about business, perhaps, And again, it's not necessarily not giving credit to what you currently know, but it's opening up to the possibility that you could learn more. There's another level. There's something you're not aware of. And this is another fundamental idea in expanding conscious awareness is at the present moment, 
all you know is all you know. What you don't know, you don't know. You don't know, you don't know it. And so there are blind spots. There are aspects of reality you're actually blind to. Remember, you have that earlier programming in your life and your other than conscious mind is making you aware of certain aspects of your environment. It picks and chooses. It utilizes the reticular activating system. And if you're not familiar with the reticular activating system, there's actually a structure in the brain that's governed by the amygdala that is identifying all the things that are a priority for you and also having you avoid the things that you've considered dangerous or not necessarily a priority for you. And so that assists you in focusing on the things that are most relevant and most important to you. And that has been programmed. And this is why asking a deeper question can open up more possibility because when you live in the idea that you have more to learn, then your other than conscious mind begins seeking those learning experiences. So let's take an assessment of what we've covered so far and where we currently are. What you're currently aware of is a gift from your other than conscious mind. You don't know what you don't know. And to open up to new possibility, new levels of perception, greater awareness, we need to ask better questions or just ask questions in general. Take the stand that you don't currently know everything. And so you're open to learn that which you yet don't know. And in that process, we take on the beginner's mind. We forget our expertise. Now, this is something I was going to say earlier in my life. I guess I didn't really finish that thought. There is a level that you need to accept. I know something. There are certain things I do know in order to be a teacher, in order to have a platform on which you can move forward, because if you're continually living in the idea, I don't know anything, or I don't know anything for sure, then you just don't take action. And this is why I say you want to take action based on your current level of knowing, but be open to shifting. Be open to be flexible in your approach if you get new information and be open to new information. Because if we move ahead as if we know exactly how we're supposed to do and you get new information, you will not pay attention to it. Your reticular activating system will not pay attention to it. It will consider it, you know, irrelevant to you. And this is why we need to open up to being flexible in our approach to actually look at the feedback that we're getting. To make an assessment on whether or not we need the course correct, are we on course? Are we moving towards our intention? Or is our current mindset leading us astray? There was times when I did not pay attention to that. You couldn't tell me that I was off course. And I would take a detour. I would take a long detour. In some ways, I've taken the slow road to spiritual enlightenment. But again, we're always on the cutting edge of our own discovery. So wherever you are is where you are. And so taking that detour is what I needed to do in order to have the awareness that I didn't need to take that detour. It's kind of interesting. So you can never not be on your path. And this brings me to another point I need to talk about, I guess, since I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to more than one of you, is that you're at the perfect place for your path. You know what you know and you know what you don't know. And there's things you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. So you're at the cutting edge of your own discovery. It's not beneficial for you to compare yourself to me. It's not beneficial for you to compare yourself to somebody else. 
You are where you are. You're learning the things you're learning, and it's perfect for where you currently are. It's not that you can't look at somebody else and, and, have, and want to emulate them or emulate certain ideas that they have. But again, you're not them. They don't have your path. But you can kind of look at them, look at other people, look at other teachers as, uh, I guess, a signpost or a landmark by which you can compare yourself to, how am I doing compared to them? But the caveat is, is if you do that, you're not allowed to compare your worthiness based on where they are. You are where you are, own where you are, love where you are. And that opens up more possibility because if you live in this idea, in this frame that you're deficient, you don't know it, you don't have it all together, then that is your reality. Again, this is the quality of our questions that we ask, the frame that we use. If I live in the idea that I'm fat, every time I look in the mirror, I'm fat. That's all I can be. I will just see the fat. If I ask, why am I so fat? I might have a list of a dozen reasons why I eat too much cake, I eat too late at night, I can't control my eating. I have all these stories, all these rationales that justify the question that I asked, why am I fat? If I change my perspective, how can I gain awareness? How can I gain health? How can I increase my level of fitness? I have a dozen suggestions that will my other than conscious mind will bring into my awareness based on my query. My query is my quest. Question. And so I send my other than conscious mind on a quest to answer a question that's going to lead me to where I want to go, not justify where I've been. That's irrelevant. We don't really care where we've been. It doesn't really impact where we are right now or where we're moving next. And so the questions we ask are oriented around what we want to draw into our life. Where do we want to end up? And I would ask the question, how do I increase my conscious awareness? And what happens? You kind of open up to the possibilities that life leads to, that the universe will lay down before your feet. For me, when I asked that question, I was introduced to a captain, Captain Randy Cooper, who was on the police force, and he did polygraphs for a living. And he asked me a series of questions to determine whether or not I was being truthful. And in his assessment, based just on his questions and the feedback, the nonverbal feedback I was giving him, he said, you're telling the truth. And I've told that story before, the details of it, but it's not that important. It's just that I, I became aware that there was a whole realm of human behavior, nonverbal communication, body language that I was not paying attention to. And then I became a student. I became an expert. And I still am a student in this area. I still learn new things. And I know more than 95% of the people on the planet about nonverbal communication. But again, all I know is all I know. So I'm still in the student. I'm still open to learning more. But when I was first exposed to this, and because it was outside of my conscious awareness, I asked my other than conscious mind for an awareness of the nonverbal cues that other people were giving me. And so I began studying the list of cues that people could present to me. 
nostril flares, porch size, pupil dilation, where they were looking, uh, the amount of muscle tone in the face, whether or not there were gestures, foot movement, foot placement, body proximity. There was all these different things that seemed overwhelming. And so realizing that my conscious mind is somewhat limited in its ability to actually take in the world, it's better in making a decision about what my other than conscious mind presents to me. And so I asked my other than conscious mind to make me aware of any exceptions to the rule, because I knew that if there was a breakdown in communication, it was typically because there was an aspect of the nonverbal communication that was incongruent with the message. And so when my other than conscious mind would notice an incongruity, that's when I began to pay attention. Otherwise, it's just overwhelming to pay attention to all these different cues. You really only need to know is when is a person being incongruent? And that leads you to ask a deeper question. It begs a deeper question. And so it becomes an exploration. It becomes a path of discovery. But I trust my other than conscious mind to make me aware of these situations. And so we can ask our other than conscious mind to make us more consciously aware in our relationships, more consciously aware of myself, of my own thinking, of my own feelings. How do I tune in? How do I differentiate between right and wrong? Where do I feel that in my body? I teach this in my intuition course, but that actually has bigger ramifications in your personal growth because you can't necessarily know whether or not you're on the path or not if you're off course, if you don't have an internal guidance system to make you aware. If you're not paying attention to the subtle cues, the subtle energy inside your body, then there is a certain level of awareness that you don't have access to. I've talked about when I was in my 20s, my early 20s, 27, 25, actually my 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 early adulthood, I was not that aware of my feelings, the contrast and comparison of different feelings. And so I would actually tolerate a lot of situations. It was never so bad for me to actually leave or to make a different choice. I I guess I would just accept certain situations that were less than ideal for me because I only had two ways of describing how I felt. I felt good and I felt really good. And so it never got so bad that I would actually make a decision. I was actually would show up and make agreements. I'd say yes to things that I wouldn't really want to say yes to, but it was okay. I didn't focus in on the the regret. I didn't focus in on the resentment. I just, I said I made that decision and I feel okay about it. But what I realized after I began tuning into this internal awareness of how I was feeling, did I feel, did it feel good? Did it feel bad? Does it feel less than amazing? And when I made a a conscious choice or created a boundary that I was not going to feel bad about my decisions, then I began making different decisions. But it was all heavily dependent upon this internal comparison contrast, this internal awareness of what was going on with my feelings, with the sensations in my body. I had a different level of awareness. And this is important to determine whether or not uh, you're tuning into your intuition. Is it a yes? Is it is a no. Is it for you? Is it, is it expansive? Is it contractive? We need to have access to this information 
to be a human animal, a spiritual animal. We're both spirit and animal. The sensations in our body is the animal responding to our environment. And that's another level of awareness of knowing you are an animal and a spiritual being, and they coexist. You're here to play with both aspects of yourself and to know which sensations, which feelings, which, I guess, experiences, which aspects of your experience actually belong to the animal and which aspects belong to the spiritual aspect. And what is the ultimate realm of control? It is your spiritual being. You can make choices that impact all parts of you. The animal is more or less reactive to the environment, reactive from past programming. And so it's exercising that conscious choice. Again, the path of conscious awareness is identifying these unconscious patterns and bringing the unconscious into conscious will, conscious choice. You see, this is also being aware that what was programmed at an earlier age sometimes worked for us. It's very beneficial to us. It's effective. It works. And when we look at those aspects, those behaviors that have been programmed that no longer work for us, it only worked maybe at one time in our life, then we can begin choosing new responses. This is us evolving. Now, I did talk about earlier that I was going to talk or mention distinctions, At the other-than-conscious level, when we're operating from subconscious awareness, we're not as aware of all the distinctions possible in our environment, in the different situations, in people. But when we begin creating distinctions in our environment, actually separating and identifying there's a different aspect that is distinct from everything else, then we can actually become more aware of when that occurs. Let me use the nonverbal communication, the body language communication. First and foremost, the first distinction is that people cannot lie. The other than conscious mind cannot lie. And their truth is always exhibited in their body in contrast to what they might be saying. That was the first distinction in communication. The next distinction was, What aspects of physical expression, the body signals, could I pay attention to that would indicate that there's something going on? That's that's the list of the pupil dilation, eye accessing, eye movements, muscle tonus, shoulder shrugs, gestures, all this stuff. So there's all these different distinctions that I could pay attention to. Now that they were on my radar, when they came up, I could actually identify, oh, there's something deeper going on here. It begs a deeper question. I had a greater awareness of the communication process. And so these distinctions, when we create them, open up possibility, open up a bigger universe. It's a greater level of awareness. When we gain mastery over anything, it's because we've created a higher or a hierarchy of distinctions in our discipline. We have finer and finer references to know whether or not something is on task or in alignment and to know when we're off course. I've talked about whitewater rafting. And when you go down the, when you first look at the rapids, it's just a mess of water just running all over the place. But as you become aware of the different distinctions in reading the river, you can see recirculating hydraulics. You can see, you know, 
underground rocks. You can see where there's different obstacles that, that you want to avoid and actually see the path. You can actually begin seeing a path through the rapids, the path of least resistance. And then identify things that will be of resistance, but that you can handle. And then you can see areas that you definitely want to stay away from. Another set of distinctions that I've gotten along the way when I was younger, when I was in my teens, my dad taught me how to track animals. And you can learn a lot based on when did this animal pass here? How big is it? How much does it weigh? The depth of the print. What type of animal is it? How many are in this little group? Is it just a solitary animal or is there a group of them? Is this a path that they just move through once or is this a regular game trail? There's lots of little distinctions that you can begin to pay attention to that will increase your awareness in any given area. From the context of being a coach, when I work with a client, there are distinctions that I want to identify in order to hone in on the different thing or the different aspect that is going on with this individual. Usually they have a presenting problem that they want to overcome. In the context of subpersonalities, when I'm working with the issue of self-sabotage, most people are so aware, oh, I self-sabotage. And so when I first begin talking to them to begin identifying more specifically what's going on to create a greater level of awareness, I start asking some particular questions. When do you experience self-sabotage? How do you know when to engage in self-sabotaging behavior? There's an aspect of you. What is it attempting to prevent you from doing? And what behavior is actually instituted? What strategies actually played out in that self-sabotaging behavior? Do you withdraw? Do you procrastinate? Is it ADD? You go on attack mode. What behavior actually is there that you deem self-sabotage? That's just a label, and it's a generalized label that people attach to a set of behaviors, but it doesn't happen all the time. There's only specific instances on when it does happen, so we begin identifying those situations, those moments when it does occur, and then ask what's going on. We also come from the context or the distinction that all parts of you are benevolent in nature. Even though one part of you signifies that there is a subconscious aspect that is sabotaging your efforts, that part that is instrumenting or instituting this behavior that you deem undesirable, its intention is for your greater good. And so there is a, a conflict of intentions and we need to identify what is the conflict and what's the value that all behavior is valuable to you on some level. And so through these questions, we can actually create distinctions. This subpersonalities has a distinct behavior and responds distinct ways in certain situations, specific situations to achieve a specific result. That awareness gives us the ability to actually shift it and change it almost immediately. But until we have this conversation, until we begin asking these questions from a lot of people, this idea of self-sabotage is a generalized feeling that is just kind of there. And there's this story that I can't move ahead because there's a part of me that will always self-sabotage my efforts. See how limiting that is? But by creating finer and finer distinctions, by increasing the awareness, then we can actually make a choice about what's going on. 
Okay, I've talked about a lot so far, but let me give you some things to hang your hat on, some things you can actually begin investigating uh, areas of your life, areas of your persona that you can begin exercising more choice or more conscious awareness over. First and foremost, we want to identify our thoughts. Where are our thoughts coming from? And actually asking the question, how does this serve me? And if it doesn't serve you, what needs to change? Now, there is a framework to identify those areas in which you distort, delete, and generalize information in order to make it fit in your head. And because we do that, a lot of our thought processes are incomplete. A lot of times people will say to me, I shouldn't do that, or that will not be good for me. End of story. And so the question, how we challenge that statement is, what would happen if you did do that? You shouldn't do that according to who, by what standard, what criteria. If you did do that, what would that then set up? What would happen after that? And in that questioning process, we recover lost information or information that has been relegated to the other than conscious mind, unconscious processing. And once we draw it into conscious awareness, then we can begin choosing it. And there's many aspects of our thinking to challenge One of the things that I've talked about before is the aspect of language called anomalization. They are verbs that we turn into a noun as if it's a thing. We treat it as if it's a thing. And what I'm going to talk about fairly soon in an upcoming episode is our criteria for love. Love is one of those words that is a verb that we've turned into a noun. And one of the, I guess, the challenges is if you cannot pull it around in a wagon, if you can't pull it out of your pocket, if you can't point to it on the wall, it is a concept of mind. It is not a thing. But we treat love as if it's a thing. When I say, I love you, there's a certain part of me that expects you to understand what I'm saying. Yet, if you have a different definition of love, or you hear the words, I love you, and it feels like you know what I'm talking about, we may be talking about two completely different things. Because we each have different criteria by which we identify or define this term, love. Other nominalizations or verbs that we've turned into nouns, honesty, trust, respect, connection, intimacy, These are attributes. These are things that have criteria. When A, B, and C are present, then I feel connection. But I might feel connection, and the other person does not feel connection, and then we do not have a shared experience. This is another level of awareness. So, identifying your thinking processes. Where is your thinking out of alignment? Where does it take you down a rabbit hole? Where does it take you on a detour? How is it getting in the way of you actually being aware or connected to, quote-unquote, reality? Where are you distorting your perception of reality? That is a level of self-awareness. The other aspect of self-awareness is your self-identity. Knowing that who you think you are is just a collection of behaviors that you've adopted along the way, that you consider to be who you are as an expression. And they're really just a collection of knee-jerk, habitually learned responses. And I say that with the greatest amount of love. You're doing the best you can, but your behavior, your personality is not who you really are. 
this awareness opens up a whole new vista of reality. Now, one tool that I've talked about is meditation. And there's different levels of meditation, and I've talked about it at length in other episodes. But by and large, when you actively meditate, you begin to learn that you are not your thoughts. You have thoughts, and a lot of the thoughts we have are part of our past programming. And on one hand, a thought is just a thought, but a thought that we entertain on a regular basis can be creative. It can actually create who we think we are. But beyond the realm of thoughts, once we get or wander past our conscious mind, there is a deeper knowing, a deeper reality, a deeper self, a more expanded self, that as we become aware of that, we realize that a lot of the mechanisms or mechanistic processes of our mind are not who we are. And we entertain the idea that just maybe, perhaps we are a spiritual being immersed in the human experience. At our core, we are so much bigger, so much more fantastic, so much more marvelous than we give ourselves credit for. You are way beyond your learnings, your knowings, your the things that you've accumulated over time, the different education. You're so much more than that. In fact, that education, the ability to spout facts, the, the string two words together, that is the least of your abilities. And so when we recognize that how we perceive our environment, that process of getting everything out there into our head, when we can begin identifying and create different distinctions, what is working for us? Is that effective? Is this true? Is there another possibility? Is there another explanation? Once we begin questioning all that, we become more aware of our interaction with all that is. And ultimately, Increasing our conscious awareness is becoming aware of our relationship with all it is, our relationship with life, our relationship with experiences, our relationship with fear. Fundamentally, it's about who we are, who we're choosing to be in relationship to everything else. And it's exercising it by conscious intention and not from a knee-jerk habitual reaction. Now, so far, I've talked about things that you can do, how you can instrument or implement or encourage an expanding awareness. One of the things that I talked about three or four episodes ago is that we are actually in a time when the universe is expanding. The conscious awareness of the universe, of the planet, of us as a species, the universal mind is expanding. And so we'll have access to a greater level of awareness than ever before, unless you don't. And one of the things that helps usher in this greater awareness is recognizing the own limitations, your blocks that you put up in actually being connected to all that is. The blocks that we present is our capacity to receive. It's being tied or identified with our traumas or with our past. And allowing those to define who we are in the present moment, not recognizing the capacity or the capabilities of our self-concept or the limitations of our self-concept. I have frequently said that one of the most inspiring quotes I ever had or ever came across was that the ceiling to your potential is determined the moment you say, I can't. And as I was thinking about that, it has a greater ramification. Again, we're creating finer and finer distinctions. The ceiling to your potential is determined by your self-concept. 
We say I can't or I won't in response to the idea of who we think we are, the idea of what we think our capacity is. And so we will say I can't once we bump up against a limitation in our own mind. One vista that I want you to be aware of, and I have talked about it, but I want to re-presence you to this vista, to this arena of expanding conscious awareness, and that is inside your relationships. How you relate to others, how they relate to you, what is that dynamic going on, how are you getting in the way, how are you opening up to it, and that will be the source of some upcoming episodes And so if you begin investigating these three areas, how can I increase my conscious awareness of how I think, why I think the thoughts I have, are they accurate? Is there something or a a greater distinction I can create that will amplify my thinking in this area that open up new vistas, something I can become more aware of? Who am I, basically, who am I in relationship to all that is, to everything else? Who do I think I am? What is my self-concept? Where did that come from? What is it governed by? Am I open to being more expansive, more amazing? Am I open to being a spiritual being? What aspects are not relevant to my experience of life? Which aspects am I considering important or serious, or when I say serious, significant, that may not be significant? And then, how am I in relationship? Now, what's been interesting to me as a coach and as a human being, how many people have actually exited the highway of relationships? They'd rather be single because it's too cumbersome, it's too confronting to actually be in relationship with somebody else because they are the mirror to the things we don't want to look at. We think it's all them. I just can't find somebody I can be with. Well, you have a hard time actually being with yourself. And here is a position of awareness I'd like you to consider. If you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s, or older, and you're not in a committed, sustainable relationship, it is not the other people you encounter. It is what you're putting out in the world. And you might say, I'm just not meant for relationships. Every person is meant for relationships. If you look at the biological underpinnings of who we are as a human being, we're rewarded biochemically by being in relationship, by being in the proximity of other people. On a fundamental level, we are a herd animal, even though some of us may have the affinity of being a solitary individual, liking to travel by ourselves. And if you think you can get along without people, if you don't need a relationship, No one needs one, but you would actually do better in life if you could be in relationship with other people, a support system. One of the greatest predictors of a long life is, do you have a support system? Are you in a committed relationship? Does someone somewhere have your back? Now, I know that it's going to fly in the face of some people's belief systems, that if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, or older, and you are not in a committed relationship, you don't have a circle of friends, that there is something wrong with you. I'm not saying there's something wrong with you, but there's something wrong with your perceptions of how you're interacting with other people. You have some blocks to intimacy. You have some blocks in expression. 
And perhaps, just perhaps, you're still hanging on to trauma of which you have not resolved from earlier in life. Now, understand that I say this not to point out that there's, quote unquote, something wrong with you, just that you have something to work on or could work on that would open up your experience of life. The other caveat, other side of the equation in this is if you're in those age ranges and you're encountering other people that are not currently in relationship, understand that more than likely they also have something in their past, a story or some block that is preventing them from deeper intimacy. And I know just that idea in and of itself stops people from actually pursuing a relationship. But when you know everyone is in the process of healing, everyone's on the cutting edge of their own discoveries, then you can be or exercise a certain amount of grace when you're interacting with other people. You don't expect them to be perfect. You expect them. And and this is where we go back to that 19-year-old, the couple of virgins that were getting together for the first time. You, you come in with a context that we both have stuff to work on and we're going to bump up against our blocks. We're going to bump up against our traumas, bump up against. We're not perfect. And when you know that you're not perfect, then there's nothing to prove. Then you can be in the exploration, be in the discovery together, knowing that you are perfect mirrors for each other. This is a conscious, loving relationship. And I'll talk more about that in a future episode. One, uh, one, I guess one disclaimer here that I want to reiterate that I've talked about in the past and probably should repeat every episode, take everything I, I say with a grain of salt. Question everything. Validate it for yourself in your own experience. Understand that anything that I say, you're going to interpret from your own viewpoint, your own position on the planet. I had an episode where I talked about makeup, women putting on too much makeup, not being able to go out in public without makeup, not wanting to be caught dead without makeup out in public. And then I had a client come on and almost admit to me, I know you don't like makeup, but I'm wearing makeup. I never said that. I never said I don't like makeup, but if you're dependent upon makeup in order to put your your image out in the world then I want you to question it. Question why? What is it about you that is insufficient? Again, this is an area of self-discovery to ask this question of yourself, self-awareness. By and large, most men don't have the ability to use makeup to change their appearance. It kind of is what it is. Women do this a lot. You can change a lot with makeup. And as a man engaging with a woman, if that is the only way a woman can, I guess, show up with this mask on, I always question why. Ideally, I think if you want to strut your stuff, you know, put yourself out in the world, glam up, then by all means wear makeup. But don't allow it to be an inhibitor to not go to the store because you don't have makeup on. Who the hell cares, really? But I mention that because I never said that I did not like makeup. I didn't accept women that wear makeup. There's just some questions there if you can't go without it. And if you do go without it, you apologize for it. And with that said, I invite you to question what I say. Does it resonate? Does it sound plausible? Is it true across the board? Are there caveats? And then you can ask me questions, deeper questions. People do it all the time. And I can expand on it 
in another episode. And I realized maybe I did misconvey what I really wanted to say. Or perhaps I could expand on it in a way, provide some different examples, so it's a more complete example or statement. Anyways, it's all in the process of expanding our conscious awareness. And if you've listened to this podcast for a number of episodes, that expansion of conscious awareness is at the heart of every episode I do. And even though I may not talk specifically about conscious awareness, expanding conscious awareness every time, I'm always talking about different distinctions. I'm always talking about expanding our experience of life, expanding possibility. So with that said, I'll leave you with that for now to ruminate over. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner directed as you engage in the epic adventure. <laughs>